Welcome to Southern Fried Fantasy, a podcast for readers and writers, where Southern authors talk about books set in the region they call home. Book lovers beware, your TBR pile is about to get taller than high cotton. Welcome back to another episode of Southern Fried Fantasy. I'm your host, Bob Magoo of Tales by Bob, and this week I am super excited to have on Iris Kane. I had the pleasure of getting to meet her at Magic City Con in Birmingham, and she was just super pleasant to talk to, so I was so glad we could get her on. Iris, welcome. Hey, how you doing, Bob? Doing great. Glad to be here. Good, 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 good. So I like to just dive right into things. You know, that's what people are here for. So to start things off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what ties you to the South? Um, Well, I mean, originally I was born actually in Southwestern Michigan, but my family were not much for traveling. And like I knew from the minute, you know, as soon as possible, I wanted to see as much as I could of the world. Mm. So graduated high school, jumped in a car and moved to Arizona for a little while. I lived in Phoenix uh, for a few months, and then I moved to Tucson for a few more months. Went back home to Michigan for a couple more months, and then I met a guy. And um, you know how that goes sometimes. I wound up moving to Hilton Head, South Carolina to be near him, Mm -hmm. which I loved. I'm a huge fan of beach, huge fan of the water. I actually grew up really close to the um, Lake Michigan coast. Yeah. Um, So after South Carolina, I moved to Savannah, Georgia, and I probably could have lived in Savannah the rest of my life and have been totally happy. I love it there. (laughs) Um, There's a big art scene because the Savannah College of Art and Design is there. And Uh it's really just at least when I was there in like the late 90s, super laid back town. Um, Are you familiar with the book Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil at all? I am. I, okay. I've seen the movie. I haven't read the book, love, but I, I have seen the movie. I love, love the book. Um, John Barrett, the, the author there, he had this quote in the book that, again, at least when I was there in the 90s, it was super true. Like, if you go to Atlanta, the first question people ask you is, what's your business? In Macon, they ask you, where do you go to church? In Augusta, they ask you your grandmother's maiden name. But in Savannah, the first <laughs> question people ask you is, what would you like to drink? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And that's very true. So, um, but I was in my mid twenties around then. And, um, I, uh, I, I, it took me a little while to grow up. Oh, so, I, oh, oh Lord. Do I feel that? <laughs> <laughs> so in mid twenties still hadn't figured my life out. So I decided I was going to give the military a try see if that couldn't strike me out. So I walked into mm-hmm. a recruiter's office and I told them if he got me Fort Stewart, which is like right outside Savannah, as my duty station, I, he had himself a recruit. And I think his job out hit the floor because um, <laughs> I, I was probably the easiest recruit he ever had. Yeah. Um, and my plan was to do three years and get out and continue my happy little life there. But mm-hmm. things changed. Um, I, By the time I got out of the service, I met my son's husband. He'd enlisted for Germany. So I spent a couple of years over there and I loved it. Um, Germany is gorgeous. People mm-hmm. were super nice. Um, we were armies, but we were stationed in air force base. So we actually lived on the economy there, Yeah, which is a military way of saying we just lived in like the nearby village there. Oh, I gotcha. Um, and because of my son's father's job, he got out of the service and then, um, that's what brought us to Huntsville, Alabama. Um, so as you may know, um, Huntsville is known as Rocket City. Yep. Pretty much anything that goes into the atmosphere gets launched into space. They have a tent set up here and <laughs> that, you know, my ex was air defense and that's what brought us to Huntsville. And I have been here, oh goodness, 16 years now, I think. Yeah. Very cool. Like yeah. Yeah. So you've seen, uh, you've seen a good bit of the South and uh, yeah, I, I I always like uh, interviewing folks that have experiences like living outside the South because um, 
you know, it's one thing for me to talk about the South. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I've, you know, I've visited, I, I've been to the shore of Lake Michigan before yeah. and it, it was gorgeous, but I don't know anything about what it's like to live there yeah. <laughs> other than it's, it's cold. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> that is a big part of what drew me to the South, honestly. Yeah. I, never have to, I got really tired of shoveling, you know, two feet of partly cloudy off the porch. Oh man. I, uh, <laughs> I, for my around my 30th birthday, I took a road trip. Uh, Highway 31 mm. runs from Spanish Fort, Alabama, which okay. is basically Mobile, uh, up to uh, Mackinac. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it, it, which for those who don't know is uh, like the before you uh, jump up into the upper peninsula of Michigan, yeah. it's like the last point of civilization yeah. before you cross the water. Um, and so we took that road trip. Uh, that sounds very cool. And the the moment we drove into Michigan, I swear the temperature dropped 30 degrees. Oh, you're not kidding. <laughs> you're not kidding. That lake, I tell you, it just, it does something to the air there. And oh. on the plus side, it does help the wines there taste pretty good. I, I swear there's something in the, uh, in the, in the Michigan lakes that makes the wines there taste different from anything I've ever had. And it's, yeah, I, I do like my wine on occasion. Okay. So. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, uh, uh, we, we, uh, we stayed in a, uh, to, to save on costs, we decided to camp, mm-hmm. um, in one of the state parks there and, yes. uh, it wasn't too far into Michigan and, uh, it started raining. So it was <laughs> like brutally cold. We're in a tent in the rain, uh, which makes uh, it even th- colder. Oh my God. It was, it was, <laughs> I'm not saying it was the most miserable night of my life, but it was easily top three. But, <laughs> uh, but then, you know, we got up the next day and I mean, it really is gorgeous up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but just way too cold. <laughs> yeah. It must so, have up there and I go up on occasion. And every time I go there, I'm like, man, it is so, because I never go up during the winter if I can help it. Oh, yeah. Man, it's really pretty here. Why don't I? Oh, yeah. Winter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, but yeah. So I, I like, I like talking to folks that have that, uh, you know, they, they have points of reference where they can really talk about the differences, you know? Sure. Um, so, uh, I haven't been to Savannah yet. Uh, it is very much on my to-do list. I've done, I've been Athens, Macon, Atlanta. Okay. I, I've been all over Georgia. I just haven't made it yeah. to Savannah yet. Um, it, it's coming though. I've, I've heard so many amazing things. Uh, it's a really unique town and it's, um, I've, the most recent time I've been there has just been, I guess, probably three, four years ago. Um, and it's a really unique town in that you have like these super old, completely restored houses that have been around since, oh gosh, you know, 1800s and stuff. Yeah. And then they're right next to other houses that really desperately need to be renovated. But, you know, I know that at the time when I lived there, there was an organization that was really supporting people in, in the efforts of doing that. So if mm. anyone ever has the urge of like upgrading a house, buying a beater house and, and fixing it up, that might be a good time to do it in. And it's, yeah. like I said, it's just super laid back. Everyone there was so nice. Yeah. And mm. I loved it. I, yeah. My I parents uh, honeymooned there um, oh, nice. actually. So um, and that's where I met my well, technically I met my husband. No, it was Savannah. I, I met him at, a, at a, an apartment on 52nd Waters. Yeah. And, very cool. Uh, yeah. All right. So, so why don't you take a moment and tell us about your book? Okay. Um, the first book that I wrote was called Shadow Hunter. Um, that came mm-hmm. out the uh, December 2020. And that came about partially because of COVID, I didn't have to worry about my commute. I had a couple hours left in my day that I didn't have before. So I went back to something I've always loved to do, which is writing. And I learned about Kindle Direct Publishing. Mm -hmm. And when I found out about that, I was like, wait, hold on. You mean there's no upfront cost? If people find out about your book, they can just download it or buy it. And it's print on demand. How fabulous is that? There's nothing out of pocket. Mm-hmm. And I picked Shadowhunter, even though the Blood Tribe trilogy is still to this day my favorite out of all the stuff that I've written, because there was one of it. And my logic was <laughs> if it messed up, it was a one and done, and I can, you know, yeah. um but it the book itself started as a dream. Well, I guess it, it's more of a nightmare. 
I woke up in a cold <laughs> sweat after, cause I'm one of those people where sometimes I dream in like third person. Yeah. So that's how that happened. I woke up in a cold sweat and I was like, Whoa, that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> cause I also love horror movies. Yeah. Um, and so I, it was scary as hell. And I sat up and started making notes and it turned into shadow hunter. Yeah. So it's about this precognitive kid who can see ghosts who mm-hmm. has a premonition about his parents being slaughtered. Mm-hmm. Um, and then years later, he's a detective and he winds up on the trail of this serial killer that he thinks is the same guy that killed his parents 20 years before. Mm. Um, so that was interesting. That was the one book I've outlined too. Yeah. Um, I, uh, talking about the dream thing, uh, yeah. my my doctor recently put me on Stratera, mm-hmm. um, and it has uh, one of the side effects has been these incredibly vivid dreams. Yes, um, and I've never really dreamed in third person before, and I've oh, wow. started having third person dreams. Um, so kind of a new experience for me, but yeah, and I had one of those. I had just a crazy intense third person dream that uh, I remembered really well when I woke up and I was like, Oh mm-hmm. man, I need to write all this down. Yes. Uh, and it's not going to be a novel, but it's going to be, uh, it's eventually going to see life as a short story, you nice. know? So I, I, I can now, I can now say that I can relate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's a really neat thing. I've had it happen a couple of times and some of them are still books that I've been, I, I have so many books that I've, you know, halfway done two-thirds done three-quarters yeah. done I'm just that's what I do you know some people knit some people work <laughs> on cars I I write that's what I do yeah and so I'm I'm terrible about book hopping <laughs> so, hey um, that, that I mean that works though you know uh, I, I tell I tell people that a lot of times you know so, a lot of people struggle with uh writer's block yeah. and um I I've never had much of a struggle with that because anytime that I felt like I was getting bogged down in something, I would just mm-hmm. jump projects. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that, that always helped me. And I did that long enough to the point where I had trained my, my writing muscles, so to speak. Right. So now I don't really worry. Like now I can, I typically can finish things, you know, without too much, mm-hmm. uh, too much Gus and fuss, but um but yeah, no, it jumping pro like some people are like, oh no, you just got to finish it. Like, I don't know, jumping projects. There's a lot to be said for that. For me, and this is just honestly, if anyone's listening to this that's you know thinking about writing and hasn't done it yet or whatever, I mean, my you'll hear writing advice everywhere you go. It's some people are proponents of outlining, some people are just sit down and write the story. One of the big things I've heard is don't edit as you go, just get the story out and you can edit later. Well, I, when I did Blood Tribe, I edited it, the whole thing as I went. If I didn't mm-hmm. have a day where I was feeling especially into the writing process, I would go back, I'd read three, four, five chapters and I'd edit those chapters. Mm-hmm. And it took me nine months to get through the book. I jokingly call it my first baby. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I will say that to this day, I loved that process the most out of any, I mean, shadow hunter was completely outlined. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got a few books out. The sour actually started to me as a writing exercise. And then I wound up falling in love with the characters and the story. And I just went back and edited and polished it until I felt it was good enough to, to publish. Yeah. Um, but man, I tell you, if I have the opportunity and wind up being a full-time author, uh, that's going to be my process is edit as I go, because I felt it helped me get more in touch with the characters mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I guess I said all that to say, do what works for you as, as a exactly. writer. Exactly. Uh, I know me, I, t- I, I hate, I hate editing with the passion of a thousand burning suns. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, but what I have found that, and so I, I normally tell people that like, don't edit as you go. Um, you know, just finish. But mm-hmm. what I have found myself doing in spite of that is uh, whenever I sit down to read or not to read, whenever I sit down to write, mm-hmm. I start a few pages back and read yeah. to get in the mindset of what I was just writing. Absolutely. But I am fixing stuff as I go. You yeah. know, I don't just sit there and just read it and 
if I see something wrong, oh, I'll fix it later. Like, no, I go ahead and fix that. So I do, I do do a little bit of editing as I go. Yeah. Um, and so, it, but again, it just all goes to show there's no one right way to write a novel. You just find the process that works for you and go with it. You know, if, if a million people tell you don't edit uh, as you write, but editing as you write works for you, ignore mm-hmm. the million people. Do Absolutely. what works for you. Exactly. Exactly. That's so, as long as you get the book out eventually. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. So is sour, is that the one about the uh uh like the the potion making? Yeah, yeah, it's the one um uh, the, the reason it's called sour, and I I am a a, a pagan, a practicing pagan, mm-hmm. um a deconstructed Christian who is now considers myself a witch, but the um the story behind sour actually and I almost didn't name it sour, but it just encapsulated the, the focal point, which mm-hmm. there's something in the craft called a sour jar, which if you want to hex somebody or, you know, have them wish to wish ill will on somebody, you can create what's called a sour jar. And when um the main, well, one of the main characters, one of the, not the protagonist, but the the young lady that she's been helping learn the craft. When she, the young lady, Bethany, decides that she's had enough with somebody, she starts asking Murphy, "How do I make a sour jar?" And Murphy's like, "I am not teaching this teenage girl <laughs> who really needs to do some growing up how to do this to somebody. That's a really bad thing to do." So that was that was where that came from. Yeah. So that I, I don't know I don't know anything about a sour jar specifically, but mm-hmm. it sounds similar. So um, there's a concept in like Southern hoodoo mm-hmm. of a spell jar, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel like it may be similar. So like what a spell jar is, it's it's a hex, yeah. but it can it can be positive or negative. Yeah. And how it yeah. typically works is how I've seen it. Um, is you put a, a name on a piece of paper and you put it in the mm-hmm. jar. And if yeah. you want good things, you put honey. If you want bad yes. things, you put vinegar. Yes. Um, yes. And I found one. I found one in the wild. Wow. And that's how I found out about it. Um, I was, uh, uh, and we'll touch on this a little bit because um, I see that you're into paranormal investigating. Um, right. When I was in college, I used to do uh, like ghost tours of, nice. of a sort. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I, I'm one of those, like, I don't necessarily believe, but life is more fun with the thought that all of it's real. So I just yeah. treat it as though it's real. I'm, I'm looking to be proven wrong, I guess is where, <laughs> where I'm at on this. Um, yeah. and so I had all these places and, you know, me and friends, we would routinely go to these spots and we found this little remote cemetery one night mm-hmm. and we, we were just walking around. Uh, I think we were trying to do some EVP recordings. I can't recall now. Nice. And, uh, I found this jar wow. just, it, it was a, it was a grave with no headstone. And I found this jar and I, I thought, I was like, you know, I bet you whoever this was, they didn't have money for a headstone because I could see this jar had a name in it. I was like, I bet you this is just the head, the a makeshift headstone. And so um, I made note of the name. And I, when we got home that night, I kind of did some research. I was trying to find, it's like, let me find, you know, an obituary or something for, sure. for this person. And I could find no record of that name having... Hard died and i was like well, that's really weird but as mm-hmm. i was looking i found this concept of spell jars and i was like guys i don't think that was a headstone i think that was a spell jar mm-hmm. and okay. well we went back and uh we were like oh well we we got we got to know and it had clearly been there a while like the lid was rust it was like a uh, mason jar with a rusted mm-hmm. lid Yep. And so we went back and I got it and looking at it, it was like, well, yeah, there is some liquid in the bottom. Yep. And so we, you know, we we're just curious. So we opened it and yeah, it reeked of vinegar. Yep. Um, and so uh, that, and because that so intrigued me mm-hmm. that uh, my series that I write uh, about my redneck wizard uh, spell jars is one of the primary forms of uh, magic that they use. Um, Very cool. Now I I've I've kind of 
amped it up a little bit. Well, like sure. they, they kind of use them, uh, you know, they'll trap, you know, like fake creatures in a spell jar. So it's kind of yeah. like a mix of like actual hoodoo meets Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, and that's the thing with fiction is, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I am a witch, but I did take concepts and, you know, like you have to, make it entertaining you have to it's fiction it's not intended to be real and if you're if you're good enough at it as a writer the goal is to just tread that line between like an actual practice or an actual Mm -hmm. uh, event or an actual location and add just enough fiction in it and then take it and make it your own so that it's entertaining but if you can get it somewhat grounded in in reality or fact or even with paranormal you know uh, uh, yeah uh, suspicions or that kind of thing, superstitions, then it just makes it more fun. Yeah. 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 No. So I, I think that's, that, that's super awesome. I'm, yeah. uh, I, I'm meaning like, you know, the, the to be red pile is always, you know, eight miles high. <laughs> and so I've been meaning to read one of yours and I just hadn't got around to it yet, but I, I sour, I think is definitely going to be the one I, I, I check out because uh, I just love that. I love that concept so much, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I guess this is a weird way to put it, but I, I love the accessibility of mm-hmm. ma- magic yeah. like that. You know, yeah. it's, it's yes. it, so uh, it, very appealing. So, um, but you, so you have some other books, you have eternal spring. Yeah. And then you have your blood tribe books. Yeah. So why don't you tell us about those? Um, eternal spring kind of came out, like mentioned earlier, I'm kind of a deconstructed Christian. I, I was raised in the church. I've been, Baptized as both an infant and as a teenager, I went to parochial school. I can, you know, I've literally read the Bible from front to back, you know, Genesis to Revelation twice. Um, But having said that, I I hit a certain age, and I think it was probably around college age, where I just found myself falling away from that. But having said that, Christianity and true Christian beliefs still I wouldn't say beliefs, but, you know, people that are really Christian, true Christians, the way that Jesus says in the new Testament to Mm -hmm. live, they're the best people. They are, they are so awesome. And they, if you read the words in red and you follow those, you know, those (laughs) are the best people. Um, I, uh, but anyway, I said all that to say eternal spring kind of came out of me being deconstructed as a Christian. Um, This kid, he's raised in a commune and it's very isolated. It was actually inspired by the house of David, which is uh, something that was in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And some of those houses are still there. It was a very Mm -hmm. popular, uh, I mean, it was a cult essentially. Yeah. But the people in the house of David were very well liked in the neighborhood. People went to them. They had little go-kart races and they would sell their fruits and vegetables and stuff. And, it, it's, it was fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. So the Eternal Spring Commune was kind of based on that. And Joshua, he has supernatural abilities. There's a secret that the reverence keeping and Joshua wants to know what it is because he's thinking maybe this guy doesn't need to lead the, tree, uh, the church if he's keeping secrets from everybody. And, um, and again, I tried to tread that line between, you know, I didn't want the book to be negative towards Christianity at all. Mm-hmm. And so I actually had a Baptist minister. Uh, he's one of my beta readers. And I asked him mm-hmm. to please view this as not just a fan of horror and paranormal, but through your view of Christianity. And he, he liked it. He came back and he said, no, I don't think anybody that's Christian is going to be offended by this at all. Cause it's not the okay. Christianity that I tear down so much as this kid and his basically a slow descent into crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Blood Tribe, I I started writing that book so long ago, I couldn't even tell you. Like, I was literally using a typewriter Mm -hmm. to get some of the first chapters out. And I wrote the end before my son was born. And he graduated from high school in May. So, (laughs) thanks for a while. And uh, the story is about a woman who winds up being um, the object of interest to the 
father of all vampires, mm-hmm. um, which again, that even stems from some of the Christian mythology because uh, Joseph Cartophilus, there's a, a legend behind him, which is that he was the doorkeeper to Pontius Pilate. Yeah. And the legend goes that he strikes Jesus on his way to Golgotha and says, go now, why do you tarry? And Jesus looks at him and says, I tarry now, but you will tarry until I return. Well, of course it's 2022 now. Yeah. <laughs> and he hasn't returned yet. So in my book, you know, what's going to keep somebody walking the face of the planet for 2000 years? Well, he's a vampire. Yeah. So, yeah. So that series is about Vivian and Joseph Cartophilus and the family that she makes along the way and how they have helped her to stay alive. Yeah. Okay. So that, that brings up something I wanted to touch on. You mentioned earlier that you, you like wine. And oh, yeah. uh, this is a book about vampires. And when yes. I was doing research on you, yeah. I saw vampire wine. Yes, that um, that was not mine. That was a it was a tie-in from my. Uh, you'll have to excuse my dog. Is oh no, we're we're going to talk about the dog in a minute because I saw pictures yeah. of the dog, and we're we're definitely talking about your dog. But let, <laughs> vampire wine first. Okay, vampire <laughs> wine. Um, when I decided to do the story of uh, Blood Tribe, you know, one of the people that I reached out to was someone who does a, a what do they call it, um, a, basically she ties in drinks with different books and she asks the author okay. what they felt would be the best tie-in for their book. I mean, what better tie-in for a vampire trilogy than vampire wine? And it is yeah. very good. I didn't just pick it because it's, you know, the name alone. It's if you ever get a chance to try some vampire wine, I do recommend it. It is good. Okay. So, so it's like, I'm assuming it's a red wine. Um, it is a red wine. They do, I believe, also have a Chardonnay. They sell chocolate. They have, I mean, if you go to their website, they have yeah. pretty neat variety. And what I did for the Blood Tribe uh, book launch party that I had was I ordered a bunch of bottles of vampire wine. And they have the option where you can get them with like the little vampire capes on them. Yeah. <laughs> I had to do that. Oh, of course. It was just stinking adorable. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this dog. I, so I saw yes. a picture or yes. I don't know if I saw a picture, but I don't know. I don't think I saw a picture. I think I saw like that. It, you have a Swedish Valhund. Swedish and then I, I looked up a picture of what a mm-hmm. Swedish Valhund is. And so for those who don't know, because I didn't know, <laughs> I'm a dog guy, but I, I had, I had no idea. It looks like a wolf and a Corgi. Yes. Had an offspring and it is yes. the most adorable thing I've seen this month. <laughs> hands down yeah we we actually have two of them because the year it was funny my husband and i for years had been talking about getting a corgi and i read a book go figure and the witch character in that book had a very lupine dog Mm -hmm. and i was like man you know i love the idea of getting a corgi but i love the idea of getting something wolfy too so i googled wolf corgi (laughs) (laughs) because google offers everything exactly and that breed popped up and I went, oh, holy crap, that's my dog. That's it. That's, And we contacted different breeders and one of them had a litter of puppies that she was going to be able to uh, to adopt out soon. And one of the breeders that we contacted, she'd adopted a dog out, but for some reason he was returned. Mm-hmm. And so this poor little guy, he's a year old. Got, I looked at my husband. I'm like, on the one hand, I kind of want the little rejected dog, but on the other hand, I kind of want a puppy. And then I look yeah. at him. And I'm like, oh, we'll just get both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that was that was the way. That was the way. It Love it. Best decision. They're barkers. I will warn you, they are very much barkers, but they are the sweetest dogs, and they're so yeah. sweet. Yeah. No. Just re- like you would think, you know if someone just told you like, Oh, it's a wolf and a Corgi had mm-hmm. an offspring. Like you think that's probably a weird looking dog. <clears throat> it is not a weird looking dog. It's an adorable looking dog. <laughs> it is fantastic. Oh yeah. man. I'm jealous. I I'm a, it's I'm a dog guy. Legs and the long body. And then like the wolfy coloring. And that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. No, I, I'm very much a dog guy. We, we have cats. We don't, we don't really mm-hmm. have a setup that would be good for dogs. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. So um, me and my fiance, we have two awesome cats 
but I do, I do miss having a dog. So yeah. I'm hoping I can show her pictures of these and she will be as equally <laughs> as entranced. Yeah, um, we get a lot of people asking, what breed is that? What breed? I've, I've told my husband, I'm like, I need to just get a t-shirt that says it's a Swedish Valhoon every time you take <laughs> the dogs out because we yeah. get asked so many times. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, <laughs> um, I always like to ask, what is... Uh, you know, you're writing these books set in the South. What is something about Southern culture that you wanted to show in your books? And how did you kind of go about doing that? Well, it's, I love, I love so much about the South. I mean, I know that a lot of people there, I mean, it's, it's a very familial environment, you know, neighbors mm. chatting with each other is mm-hmm. not an odd thing. I mean, and I'm an introvert. I, I would be the first person to admit like, this is the most extroverted I have been in days and I'll probably need a nap after this. But, oh, I, but, I feel you. But when you, the, and aside from that, like some of the things that to me that are fun to work into writing are the colloquialisms mm-hmm. because there's just nothing more entertaining than running across the line. Like, Oh, he's hanging in there like a hair and a biscuit. Yes, yes. like a mule eating briars yep and if you can work those in it just and i know that not everybody uses them one of my one of my favorites that i loved i used to had a co-worker and he was griping that you know the boss was just giving him too much to do and he's just like man i got my own snakes to kill and i was like i have <laughs> never heard that that is outstanding yeah but yeah the, the, the oh no i i, I love those yeah and when you bond with people in the South, that's your family. I'm like my, my biological family is still very much up in Michigan. I've got some over in Oklahoma, um, but I have family here. They've, yeah. we've adopted each other. They're not blood, but yeah. you know, we go to battle for each other. And yeah. And that's well, so awesome. And that's something I tell, like uh, I, I somewhat jokingly say, you know, that every place sucks for different reasons, you know, mm-hmm. oh, sure. Um, and so, uh, but uh, what I say to pair that is like, you just got to find the, you got to find your people in the area yep. and yep. the people is what makes or breaks a spot. And so a oh, lot of sure. people are really down on the South and for a lot of very justifiable reasons, but you know, uh, the, the South isn't all, you know, clan hat wearing, you know, sure. racists, there's a oh, huge yeah. variety of people down here. And so like, yeah. I, I tend to be more politically left. And, but, you know, I have found, I have found my people here. You know, I'm not this ostracized. People aren't throwing rocks at me when I walk down the street, you know, I have found, I have found my people and I have a great time. I love it. I love it here. There, there's a lot of, like I was saying, one of my, one of my beta readers is one of my favorite humans on earth. He's a Baptist minister. He knows I'm a witch. We sit there and we go to lunch. We talk about the books that I've written and he is a fantastic human. Um, I have, friends at work that, I mean, we have, we run this, we run the gamut when it comes to politics and religion and whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, like you, I tend to lean a little bit more on the left side and most of my coworkers tend to lean more on the right. But the neat thing about it though, is that we don't judge each other for it. Sometimes we ask yeah. each other questions. Hey, I read this and what's your thoughts on it? And yeah. it's, and we respect each other. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I- I just love to hear that because I, I think that a lot of people outside the South don't realize to what degree that actually goes on around here, you yeah, know? Absolutely. Uh, so, um, so you told us that uh, uh, shadow hunter came from a dream. Yes. Um, so I like to ask where do people get their ideas, but yeah. how I, how I tend to spit, cause that's a very cliche question. Um, yeah. How I like to spin it is I like to know where's the line. Do you draw heavily on your own life? to get ideas or do you try and keep a separation? Is it a mix? Like that, that's kind of where I like to come at it. There are definite things from my real life, like blood tribe. One of the places that Vivian runs away to try to escape from the blood tribe is she goes to Germany, which, you know, as I told you, the, I lived mm-hmm. there for three and a half years as a, as a military spouse. And mm-hmm. it was neat to be able to draw from that and some of the locations do pop in there. Uh, I'm not naming names, but some of the characters are <laughs> based on people that I've met. Yeah. Um, and like sour, the appearance of a lot of the characters are based on some of my son's friends hmm. because they're teenagers and yeah. uh, Murphy, 
winds up kind of mothering these teenagers that come into her shop. Mm-hmm. And it was really easy for me to nail down dialogue when I picture, okay, well, what would Ember say in this yeah. situation or what would, you know, so-and-so say if it, cause of course they all speak slightly different. They all speak like teenagers, but they right. speak slightly different. Yeah. And that definitely has worked its way into it. So. Okay. I like that. I like that. Um, so when you're working stuff in, is there, uh, we talked about the sour jar. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other kind of supernatural elements, uh, anything kind of Southern specific that you work in or uh, anything like that? Um, there is a little bit to a degree. I mean, I don't have like any of the super Southern, you know, supernatural creatures specific um i i didn't do like a boo hag or a wendigo or anything like that but i did reference like the cunning folk and sour which Mm. is just a Mm -hmm. a way of referring to people that are have their own southern version of the crap yeah it's not an expression you hear up north and i do use elements of the real craft and i don't know for sure how northern craft works i mean i did mm-hmm. we just get back from salem massachusetts which by the way is my favorite one of my favorite towns on the planet i saw that i oh, saw that you, you went up there it was it's so fantastic and but i do know that the southern craft does and sometimes not intentionally but it does wind up integrating aspects of like you were saying the hoodoo when you mm-hmm. were describing the the jars that you your characters use in your books I'm like, man, that sounds exactly like a sour jar. Now, sour jars will incorporate things in addition to vinegar. I've known people that have used urine, um, you know, rusty nails, lemons, pepper. Mm-hmm. And when I have read about um, voodoo slash hoodoo, that is, you know, they, they do kind of cross over in some areas. And I, I don't want to, I, I never want to infringe on a, a culture Mm-hmm. But I think that intention, unintentionally over the years, some aspects of that have worked its way into Southern magic. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it it is definitely, it's, it's a delicate line to cross because you don't want to mm-hmm. be disrespectful. Sure. Because like, even if you don't, you know, necessarily believe in X, Y, or Z, for some people, this is uh, 100% a way of life, you know? Yeah. And Absolutely. you don't want to just treat their way of life as uh, a punchline for your book. Oh, you know? Not at all. Not at so, all. Um, so let's talk about that Salem trip. So I see you like yes. to do paranormal investigating. Um, yes. You went there and you went someplace else to a haunted hotel, I believe yeah. I saw. Yeah. When um, Okay. So I've been to Salem twice now and Boston mm-hmm. twice. Uh, we went this last time because of the Boston Fan Expo, which mm-hmm. was the biggest expo I've ever been to, but going back to the whole Salem thing, I, I don't have meters. I'm still kind of new at this investigating thing, but I will say I am much like you. I'm a skeptic. I'm Mm. big time skeptic, but I do know that there have been times in my life where there's just no denying to me that there was something. And I, can I, pinpoint what it is. No, but I know I've had instances in my life where I was having a conversation with people about something and I'm not going to go into it, Yeah, but I about fell over because something kind of came over me and just said, shut up. Yeah. And Mm. I went, uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I was, that was years ago, but I never forgot it. There've been things that I've done uh, but yeah, going to you know, the Omni Hotel, you know, we stayed on the second floor and the, the young woman that came with us, this was uh, last year, not this recent trip. She said, well, you know, everything's supposed to be on the third floor. Let's check out the third floor. And I, at this point, I'm kind of writing off the hotel in general. I'm like, eh, okay, whatever. Sure. We'll go check it out. So we took the elevator up to the third floor, the doors opened, And I promise you the atmosphere, the energy, whatever you want to call it had a completely different feel. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I've looked into getting the devices that measure, you know, the energy and whatnot, but yeah. 
at this point, it's me just kind of going different places and seeing, okay, is this worth coming back to and, and bringing those types of devices? Um, I yeah. know that um, one of the places in Birmingham, the Sloss Furnace is supposed to be uh, worth mm-hmm. checking out. Um, uh, have you been, have you been there yet? I have not. So they, I, I haven't been there uh, like to where you can explore it. Um, mm-hmm. But they do do, or I assume they still do, uh, a really good haunted house there. Um, nice. And I, I've been there a couple times for their uh, their haunted house, and it's uh, it's definitely something. It's it's uh, a haunted house through a. For those who don't know, Sloss Furnace was a uh, Birmingham. You know, was a was the center of uh, steel manufacturing, and uh, this was a basically like a, a foundry where they did a lot of that work and mm-hmm. rather than tear it down, they've preserved it. Uh, and you can do quote unquote self-guided tours of, mm-hmm. of the place. And so you can go wander around. And so I know some people have like shot some short movies there and stuff like yeah. that, and, but it is, uh, it is supposed to be haunted. And then they do a really good haunted house there every year. So mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a very neat place. And it's also like really close to like a lot of cool stuff in Birmingham. It's mm-hmm. down near UAB and five points and all that. So you can kind of just make a real day of it, you know? Yeah. Well, and like here in Huntsville, there's a place that's reputedly haunted that I have checked. It's, it's called dead children's playground. It is this playground that is right next mm. to uh, Maple Hill cemetery. And yeah. I've gone there. There is something that strikes me as a little weird about the place, but I kind of am just ascribing that to the number of people who have gone there expecting to find something because I just never got an impression Mm -hmm. that there was anything otherworldly there. Yeah. Um, Maybe I need to go back at a different time. Maybe I need to go back in the middle of the night, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, well, I, I got to say, uh, I've seen pictures of the place and it it's creepy. It's a playground right next to a cemetery. Like, Yeah. Well, it's uh, I got to say, uh, like kind of where I come down on things like I, I'm very much one of those like people have experienced things mm-hmm. um, that cannot be explained. Oh, uh, and so uh, I just think that we're probably like 100 years out. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. eventually the technology is going to get there where we're going to resolve whether it's you know, many worlds hypothesis or, you know, some wonky time thing or, you know, (laughs) something like that. Um, uh, But at the same time, I really do hope it's ghosts, (laughs) you know, Uh, we've had some some weird things happen, even in the house that I'm living in now. And there was one day my son and I were having this conversation and one of the uh, candles, of course, you know, which have candles uh, sitting on the table in the living room just flew off Mm. Mm. and the funny thing was you know as much as I like to consider myself somewhat of an empath I felt nothing so yeah yeah. it just and I mean it wasn't a matter of you know just gently scooting over and no this this booger just flew yeah and Mm. I looked at DJ my son and he looked at me and I'm like did you did yeah i saw it too okay cool just making sure i'm not losing my mind here <laughs> yeah so i who knows there's yeah oh yeah no and but you know that's part of it is like to me life mm-hmm. is more interesting with that kind of stuff in it so i just choose to engage with it and mm-hmm. you know it is what it is yeah absolutely um i'll tell you the closest thing i think that i've had to anything was um i was uh i was functionally living with my girlfriend at the time like i had my own place but i think mm-hmm. in two years i slept there like maybe 10 nights total so yeah. I, I was functionally living at, at her place and uh i worked nights so she was gone to work during the day and uh i'd got up around lunchtime and uh i was just laying on the bed reading a book and i looked up to see a woman in a sundress walk from the kitchen into the hallway like from where i was I could yeah. see the doorway into the kitchen and mm-hmm. and I couldn't really, I could see the start of the hallway, but not the end of it. And I just saw a woman like Claire's, Claire's day um, mm-hmm. walk by. And uh, I was definitely alone in the house at the time. Um, yeah. And, uh, but the, the thing that just like, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel scared. I didn't feel yeah. like it was so weird. Like to me, the weirdest thing about it was 
I just like looked up, saw this, like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, got up to just make sure I was alone in the house and I was, and then just, you know, went, got back on the bed, started back reading my book. Like it was yeah. no thing. So I mean, when we moved into this house, like my husband and I, we had experiences where, cause we were, you know, we're transitioning from our old house to the one that we're currently in. And he and I both had experiences where we were here in the front door opening and closing. Yeah. And we'd holler, you know, Hey, is that you? Nobody there. Yeah. And that happened mm. multiple times. So it, it, you know, I, I don't know. You know yeah. Was it ghosts? Was it, I, I don't know. I yeah. kind of like to think I, we've got a benign ghost that lives with us. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. And um, you know, if it's one of those deals, like, what does it hurt to to choose to believe that you know doesn't hurt anything so um all right well so i like to gear the first half of the of each episode more for the readers you know so they can get a taste for who you are what you write and the back half i kind of gear more for writers you know uh, a lot of a lot of uh writers or would-be writers listen so uh let's dive into the craft side of things a little bit um so what is kind of your process? And do you, would you say you're more, I, I know you talked a little bit about plotting. Um, are you more of a plotter? Are you more of a pantser? Like kind of where's the division there for you? Um, Blood Tribe was completely pantsed because at the time it was just me getting the story out. And when mm. I got to the end and wrote the words, the end, I went, oh, holy crap. I just finished a book. Ooh, cool. That's is, awesome. Is it, isn't that an amazing feeling? It's the best feeling. Yeah. Um, and with Shadowhunter, like I said, I had the dream. So I woke up and I wrote a lot of stuff down and I turned that into an outline. And whereas Blood Tribe took me nine months to write, Shadowhunter took me three. Mm. So I will say that outlining definitely expedited the process. Um, with Sour, I like to say that I planted it because, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> because I pantsed it until I wrote myself into a corner. And then I sat down at a table with a spiral notebook and some sticky notes and a pen and I reread the book. And did an outline. The book was about two thirds done at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I'd written myself into a corner. But when I read it, I outlined it as I read it, and I made sticky notes of ideas as I that maybe I could incorporate. I even found a couple of little Easter eggs that I'd added with the idea yeah. that if I don't use this idea, I can edit it out later. And I forgot about those. And when I saw those, it was like the eureka moment happened, mm. and the light bulb went on, and it was just I, I was able to outline the rest of the book. So. Yeah. I, I'm a fan of outlining in the sense that it does make things faster. Mm-hmm. And if getting novels out faster is your goal, I, I recommend that. But I'm sure there are people out there that pants their novels and crank them out super fast. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, do what works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm uh, at, at this point, uh, folks have heard my method of timer too. But yeah, I'm, I'm very much, uh, um, I, I, for novels, I outline anything shorter mm-hmm. than a, uh, and, but for me, an outline is, uh, a sentence, maybe two, a chapter. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, but anything shorter than a novel, uh, typically I know where it starts. I know where it ends. And then I'm just going to explore my way through it, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, it's just whatever works, you know, yeah. I, there are people that can 100% see to their pants, full length novels. Yeah. Uh, I, I ain't that guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm, even with Shadowhunter, I had my outline, but then sometimes the characters would just go in a different direction. And I, anybody who writes, you know what I'm talking about. Your characters yep. just take a life of their own. They start saying stuff and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you to revise your outline a little bit or, or even sometimes a, a lot, but yeah, sometimes the, the book just takes on a life of its own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's say someone's listening right now and they are uh they're trying to write their first book, maybe they're stuck, maybe they're thinking about writing a book, they're just some part in the process, they haven't they haven't finished that first book. What is uh your go-to piece of advice that you would like to give them? Well, I think especially with new writers, they want it to be perfect a lot of times. And mm-hmm my main bit of advice is just don't worry about it being perfect. If that's your style, again, you know, like we said before, that's fine. I've heard Dean Koontz. And again, I don't know, but if this is true, but I've heard that he will write a page and then edit it and edit it and edit it until it's perfect before he moves on to the next page. And if that's your style, then that's what you do. Yeah. 
But for a lot of people, what I have heard is to just crank out the bare bones story, then go back and make it pretty. Um, mm. I've heard the metaphor of dumping all the sand in the sandbox and then going back and making sandcastles later. I love yeah. that metaphor. I think that is just yeah. a beautiful way of looking at it. Um, but it's it's your art. It's your style. You have to do what feels right in your spirit. If it takes nine months to write a story, it takes nine months. If it takes a month, it takes a month. But the big thing is to get your butt in the chair and get the words out. Yeah. You can, uh, I like the, the phrase, it's like, uh, you can edit a book. You can mm-hmm. edit a bad book, good. Yeah. But you can't edit a book that's not that doesn't yeah. exist. You know. Yeah. You can't edit um, a blank page. Yeah. 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 So uh, definitely, <laughs> you just uh, you know the cliche advice you just got to write the damn book. So yeah, um, and, and the one of the things that I have heard for some people that works for them to, is doing sprints. Mm-hmm. Choose 15, 20 minutes and just crank the words out. And yeah. I've, I've done that some uh, with the book that I've been working on lately. And I was surprised how effective it was. So it, that would be an option. It really is. And I'll, I'll say um, I've hyped it up a few times on here. There's a, uh, there's a group on Facebook called the writing tribe. Um, right. It's some of the, uh, the folks who uh, kind of run the, uh, the writing track for dragon con started this. And uh, it's I, I'm loath to recommend uh, writing groups like Facebook groups because a lot of them uh, I just find are more of a waste of time than than they are helpful. But this one is a it's very helpful. But B they do uh, sprints as a group. Um, uh, Vanessa the the main uh, the the woman who started it. Uh, her and another couple folks, they a couple times a week, they host like over typically like over Twitch or Zoom or something like that. They will have uh, sprints, you know, and you just show up and they'll be like, all right, we're doing a 20 minute sprint. Um, they start the timer. And then after 20 minutes, they just ask, well, hey, how, hey, how did you, yeah. what are you working on? How did it go? Yeah. And I, I very rarely get to do it because um, their times tend to be a lot of time when I'm either at work or busy. Um, uh, but the few times I have got to jump on there, like it really does. Like I left my own devices. I write, uh, 500 words in 30 minutes or so, (laughs) you know, um, but when I'm doing a sprint like that, when it's somewhat competitive, I mean, it's not competitive at all, but like in your head, it's like, Oh, well, I want to look good. Like I can routinely do a thousand words in a half hour, you know? Um, well, so. I know that, like you know and this is something that again your listeners might want to consider too like uh, the national november writing month is yes. coming up, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of groups that will they're very encouraging uh that and and there are sprint groups for nano that yeah. might help them you know if you can and the goal is just to hit fifty thousand birds in 30 days yeah it's which, not easy but it's I've done fun. it. Uh, I've, I've I've done it, and it's very very rewarding. It I is. feel, it and is. like uh, I I am on the faster side of writers. I'm by no means the fastest. Um, uh, I I did an interview with a a guy a bit ago who it's not unheard of for him to do five thousand words in a day, and like that's Thanks. that's not me. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Michael Stackpole does. Uh, he does like five to ten thousand words a day. You know. Um, so I, I'm not there, um, but uh, for me, a thousand words a day is functionally no problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, there's a lot of folks, and like for me, like you know, I can do two to three thousand words, you know, with a with a bit of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of folks who are like, well, that that's baffling to them. Like, how can you do like for them, five hundred words is a gangbusters day, which mm-hmm. is very fine. If you write, if you write a hundred words a day over the course of a year, you'll have written a ton of stuff. So, um, but I attribute the reason why I can write uh, somewhat as easily and as quickly as I can to NaNoWriMo. Mm -hmm. Um, I've, I've completed it, I think six times now. And, but I, I did it my first time within like a couple of months of when I kind of started to take writing seriously and I fully attribute that because like writing is a muscle, you know, and if you stretch it out, um, it, it, 
you know, it, it really helps. And like, now I've pretty well quit doing NaNoWriMo because what I found what would happen was I would write 50,000 words in November and then December I would write very little. <laughs> yeah. And I, so, I've noticed that the last time that I did it too, but it, it, like you were saying, if it, if it, it, it's a good way to build that starter writing mm-hmm. muscle. Yeah. To, to just to have the confidence to know that you can get that many words out. Yeah. I think this is going to be my first year back doing it um, because uh, I, I I started a nonprofit uh, last year that is all about art, culture, music, things like that. And uh, Montgomery, Alabama, where I'm from, we don't have, uh, I think actually NaNoWriMo deleted our area. We were so kind of inactive, which is crazy because it's a place with 350,000 people in the metro area. Um, But uh, so I signed up to be a a, a municipal liaison, which for those who don't know, they're the people that kind of organize an area and host events and things like that. And like host a lot of these writing sprints and things. So uh, I got approved, um, but I was not able to apply to be the ML for Montgomery because there was no Montgomery to apply for. So I, uh, but it did, it did used to exist. Um, And so I applied for that. Hopefully they give it to me as I'll be the ML for Montgomery and bring it back. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. And even like, look, set your own goal. You know, it, yeah. if 50,000 words is too, like too much and we get it. I mean, that's Thanksgiving's in the middle of all that, you know, you're going to be in a oh, food sure. coma. So, um, but just set your own goal and, you know, do a hundred words a day, 500 words a day, mm-hmm. a thousand words a day, you know, or you can do the, I think it's 1600 and something words a day yeah. for, to do yeah. 50 um, set your own goal. And like another thing I tell people is like, don't be locked in. The first one I did, I wrote 50,000 words the first time, but it was not a novel. It was uh short stories. It was a collection of short oh, stories. That's um, neat. So, and, and that's something, uh, uh, the municipal liaison when I, when I was in grad school, uh, in Troy, they, uh, I went to some of the events, uh, there and the municipal liaison, if you're doing something unconventional, they basically have the 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 ability to be like because there was a guy who's doing a graphic novel he's like look i'm not really writing words i'm doing a graphic novel and the the ml was like well look you know we'll count every page that you do is like 500 words or something like that i don't remember the exact amount so you're not locked into a novel if you Mm -hmm. i'm probably going to be doing a novella uh for nano this year um and i mean and the best thing is is it's free yeah you just you just throw your hat in the ring and say, I'm going to try this. Yeah, it's free. It's all in the honor system. Um, mm-hmm. You do get some prizes if you finish, but it's nothing worth cheating over, you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, and it's, it, it is very much a community. The first writing group I, I ran and I ran it for a few years. We, uh, we met on the NaNoWriMo uh, forums for our area. And, you know, we did, because of that, we did a writing group that went for, I think, three and a half, four years, basically till COVID. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's a great community. Definitely recommend it. Yep. Um, yeah. All right. So I have a background in music. love music. Um, uh, got my master's in music industry because <laughs> I don't like uh, I don't like degrees that make money, apparently. So um, uh, I'm always curious. What do you listen to when you write? Is it music? Do you need silence? Do you listen to white noise? What, yes, what? I, I absolutely play music. I play music. I light incense or a candle. I, you know, mm. it's, it's like a whole vibe. Yeah. Um, and the music varies a lot. It depends on the scene. It depends on my mood. It depends on, I don't know what phase the moon is in, whatever. Yeah. Something. I mean, it just, sometimes <laughs> it just, I sit down and I just want to, listen to metal and ACDC and uh, Nirvana Metallica stuff. That's a lot of guitars and drums, but I've been on a classical kick lately. Mm -hmm. Um, Been listening to a lot of Bach. I find it really helps a lot, but I do have Spotify playlists that I've built. Mm -hmm. One's called witchy vibes. Um, I listen to that one a lot. Um, One is ever so cleverly called writing music, which is a combination (laughs) of fancy stuff. I listened to when I wrote blood tribe, um, and yeah. it's got some of the newer stuff uh, with a similar kind of feel added in. Um, but one of the favorite things that I've been listening to lately is the the Westworld score. Mm. I don't know how to pronounce 
the composer's name. It's like, it looks like Raman Jawadi or something. Uh-huh. Um, he's, he's Indian, I guess, but uh, he takes like popular songs from bands like Nirvana or Rolling Stones and it makes them instrumental and kind of Western and retro. Mm. I just, I love it. It's just so cool. And there's not a lot of lyrics to get in the way and it's super yeah. neat. I love that. Uh, yeah. It's that I'm gonna have to check that out. Cause that does sound right up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So I have uh, an author hero of mine is a man named John Harkness and okay. uh, he writes the Bubba, the monster hunter series. And okay. he talks about how, no matter how quickly we write as writers, we can never write as quickly as people read. Yeah. And oh, so, sorry. yeah, right. Oh yeah. No, there's no way. So because of that, we should always be helping promote other authors, you know? Uh, Absolutely. And so two part question. Who is an author hero of yours? And then who is an author you think we should be checking out that we aren't? And if you need to name more than one name on either of those questions, feel free, make it your own. Um, honestly, I admire anyone who can put together a story and has the guts to get it published. That, especially with the whole indie author thing, so many people are out there and they're sharing their hearts and their words. And I just, I respect the crap out of that. Um, having said that, I, I know, you know, going back to more traditional, traditionally published authors, um, I know Dean Koontz came from a rough start. He had an abusive alcoholic dad and he still managed to pull himself together and became internationally recognized bestselling mm-hmm. author. He writes stuff that I, it's just right up my alley. It's spooky and sometimes inspiring. And yeah. I, I love him so much. Neil Gaiman his drop dead mm. originality and the way he strings words together. Oh my gosh. You want to talk about writing as an art. Mm-hmm. I mean, that man's got it down. Um, now, as far as authors that I think you should be checking out that people aren't, um, I know that she is somewhat popular, but I love Kim Harrison. She writes the Rachel Morgan hollow series. And again, it's, Rachel Morgan is a witchy and she's badass and she kicks butt and she's yeah. very sexy and very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe this is super Gen X of me to say, but I think a lot of people still haven't read Ray Bradbury, which is a shame. Um, but you're, one- uh, you're actually, I think the second person on this podcast to recommend Ray Bradbury, which is surprising to me. Um, I, 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 I do, I do love Ray Bradbury and, uh, I think it's neat that two different authors on here have recommended him. Yeah. And he's another one, just the way he puts words together that is both very visual, but at the same time, very concise. He's not like Dickens who takes three pages to describe a room, which, you know, not knocking that it's, you know, I realized that was, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's just, his, his, his words are just very lyrical in a yeah. way. They just, they're so, uh, anyway, I could, yeah. I could wave, and obviously I am. Um, <laughs> but there's one thing that, especially as writers, and it's very, it's a powerful social commentary. But um, have you ever read um, Harrison Bergeron by Kurt Vonnegut? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a powerful story. And if uh, if your listeners have not read that, I think especially now in our, it's it's it was a powerful social commentary when it was written and it's i think even more poignant now no i would definitely agree it's much more poignant now um so yeah another great great recommendation there so i haven't read kim harrison but she my uh stepmom loves her so um it it's kind of on my on my i'll get around to it one day list (laughs) (laughs) i know my my tbr pile isn't even a pile anymore it's this huge cardboard box yeah Yeah. oh god it's a mountain oh it's a mountain (laughs) all right so to wrap things up why don't you tell us uh where can folks find you you know social media that kind of stuff and where can they get your books Sure. Um, my website is iriskane.com, Kane with a K. So it's iriskain.com. I'm on pretty much all the socials at author Iris Kane. I do Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter. Been on a real Twitter kick lately. Mm. I go through phases where like I'll favor yeah. one format over another, but t- Twitter's been my, my favorite lately. Uh, my books are available. I try to make them pretty much available everywhere. I am widely published uh, Mm at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Google Play, Kobo. If they 
uh, go to my website beneath each book. There's a link that'll mm-hmm. tell them where they can buy their books so they can take their pick of their favorite store. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Iris, this has been an absolute delight. I've loved having you on. It, I, I, it was it was nice meeting you in person and then getting you on here was just absolutely great. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been fun talking. Good, 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 good. Well, so uh, until next time, guys, uh, y'all be good now. taking the time to check out another exciting episode of Southern Fried Fantasy. If you would, you know the drill. Give us a like, subscribe, follow, all that jazz. We'll appreciate you. Until next time, y'all. is part of the Tales by Bob network. To see all our great shows, go to talesbybob.com.